Good evening, America. Welcome to your Wednesday night edition of The Sea Report. We're coming to you live on this Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. I am your host, Mr. C, and uh, we are happy to be here with you guys tonight as we go through another uh, report of some news and headlines of interest to share with everyone out there who might be interested. Thanks for joining us tonight. We are live on multiple platforms, including the foxhole.app, pill.net, twitch.tv, clouthub.app, and trobo.live. And then there's also DLive. <laughs> I hope you guys are doing wonderful today. We are doing quite wonderful as well here at the old C Studios. And uh, ready to uh, get at it. We had a pretty interesting day today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, actually, uh, we actually had two hearings this, uh, this day uh, involving election integrity and election fraud. Uh, one, one happening in Georgia and uh, one happening in Pennsylvania. Just when you thought we were done with Georgia, right, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, but indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we will get to those stories in just a bit. Um, as we uh, have a few other things to talk about. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit more about Georgia. Now, we were actually on the topic of Georgia and uh, voter integrity efforts, efforts to uh, expose voter fraud um, in the peach state. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, we, will, uh, we will continue on, particularly in the face of the hearing that happened today. That hearing had to deal with the uh, Dominion voting machines. And whether or not they would be uh, removed and banned from the state from use. And that is most definitely what the goal was. Some interesting background on that story. And then uh, a little bit of tidbits of info to go ahead and close the circle on what we talked about yesterday in regards to Voter GA and Garland Favorito's efforts um, to uh, basically get the... Uh, get the um, ballots uh, to perform an audit in their state. Very interesting the way that went. And if you guys uh, recall yesterday when we were talking about um, the lawsuit that uh, David Perdue had filed, well, I find it quite interesting, the judge that he recommended, but uh, dare I put you guys in a state of suspense and anticipation? It's okay, guys. We're only a few stories away because that's going to be one of the main ones that we crack into first tonight. Uh, we got uh, several stories for you guys to, uh, to share with. Um, and our stories tonight are brought to you by the Georgia Record, Just the News, the World Tribune, Breitbart, Pennsylvania Capitalist Star, the Washington Free Beacon, and NewJersey.com. So we've got some great stuff ahead of you guys. And, uh, man, you know, the news has just been rather interesting. It's been quite crazy. I'm sure uh, a lot of you all are aware of uh, the um, natural disaster, the tragedy that happened over in Kentucky. How long exactly did it take illegitimate Joe to get over to Kentucky to uh, address the community and the state in regards to that disaster? Oh, was it something like a few days? But, uh... There was some interesting video that came out today, and I just, I just don't understand how this man can get away with the things that he does. Now, out, uh, on an outward look, say you're taking a first look at a dirty old man touching children. 
first look ever. You might not think that there's anything really obscene going on there, but when there is a documented pattern of the way someone touches and gropes children, one has to wonder, why is half the... Well, I was going to say, why is half the world... Why is half the nation asleep to uh, some of these allegations that uh, come up against members of the Biden family? May as well include... Uh, politicians and celebrities and other things like that. Uh, it's quite gross. I considered sharing one of the videos with you guys. I'm sure it's all over the place by now. Uh, uh, the one I was thinking about in particular was the video where he was, um, he was, uh, he was, uh, manhandling a little boy. And I don't know. I, I just, you know, I'm not any type of, uh, what is that called? Body language type of analyst or uh, expert by any means, but there was just a lot of things that I noticed in that video when I watched it uh, between Biden and the boy, the body language just screamed to me and I was just so uncomfortable watching it. Um, can we get the light of God between Joe Biden and that poor little boy? It was very, very uncomfortable. Uh, but I'm not trying to make the audience uncomfortable tonight by starting with that little tidbit, but uh, he made it down to Kentucky. And again, uh, we most definitely uh, send our prayers, wishes, love and strength to uh, the communities over in Kentucky that were affected and beyond, actually. I heard it was actually a pretty big storm. But yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that was quite the thing to see. I don't know. Uh, we we could do a we can do a video analysis at the end of the show. No, just kidding. <laughs> we don't need to do that. But uh, man, I felt bad for that child, ladies and gentlemen. I sure felt bad for that child. Uh, we got a lot of other things going on around the nation. Uh, we will talk a little bit about uh, Adam Schiff. I'm pretty sure if you guys haven't heard, the uh, lying liar strikes again. And uh, that is another one, too. That is another one. You have to realize, and I don't mean you specifically, my dear audience. I mean you generically. You have to realize um, that when people get into these patterns, you know, uh, such as Joe Biden groping and sniffing children on camera, documented dozens of times, and uh, Adam Schiff, Lying and lying and lying, documented on camera and otherwise dozens plus times. Uh, how is it that these people continue to get away with that? You know, it kind of reminds me of when I was uh, in my younger years. And, you know, uh, like say it's at, like at a job or say it's like in a school. And uh, you get to uh, do things sometimes that uh, maybe the teacher or maybe the boss or the manager will turn their eye to. They know it's not proper. They know it's not right. But hey, you're on their good side. Plus, maybe they participate in such activities or whatever it is. So they turn the cheek. And then you kind of realize that it's like almost as if though it's only a very select group of people that get away with those things. If anyone else did anything, they would probably get reprimanded and trouble written up, whatever. So there you have a broken system wherein the manager, the boss, the teacher, the authority figure, they, uh, 
they basically um, have gotten away with uh, allowing these types of activities. They have no integrity for their work. You know, they have no integrity for their work. And then what happens there is it creates this culture, you know, where people feel like they can get away with, even if it's the smallest thing or even bigger things, who knows? I mean, I imagine that's how we end up with uh, businesses. Look at uh, major financing businesses, look at Hollywood, look at uh, celebrity producers and stuff like that who uh, create this culture within that environment, eventually it becomes toxic. But as the leader of that unit turns the eye or participates in such events, and uh, then their subordinate does, and then that person's subordinate does, and then someone else is included in the group, but not everybody, it starts to destroy and it creates like this uh, environment it, it, that, where they can harbor this type of behavior. It starts at the top, okay? But what some people don't realize, and I don't know if it's just like a human psychology thing where people can kind of just turn their cheek or look away or whatever. But um, other people are watching, you know, other people are watching. And it doesn't go unnoticed, so uh, that's why I, I ask, how is it that, for example, Adam Schiff, I mean, we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Adam Schiff lies, like almost, uh, it's almost like a pathology with this man, like he's a pathological liar, and he gets away with it, which is what amazes me. And that's easier to prove Adam Schiff's lies than uh, Biden's obsession for children other, ba other than based on, you know, maybe some um, suggestive evidence, things that would suggest that. But, you know, it's not like you actually have, you know, hard, palpable evidence. Oh, I'm starting to sound like those people who deny election fraud, right? But yeah, uh, it's amazing, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and imagine what that does to poison the morale of the people. Or in the case of like a job, the employees, no one's going to want to work there. If they're not part of the crew, they can't get away with it, but you have to be part of the crew, you know? Uh, so it's just, it's a disturbing, a disturbing cycle, I think of, uh, of a culture that needs to go away. Um, and I really do hope, and I really do believe that we're approaching a time where people are just not going to put up with that stuff anymore. Um, I just uh, maintain that enough exposure to these, uh, these hidden lies and deceit uh, begin to uh, get a little bit of sunlight so they can grow and people can better recognize, you know. But again, I mean, that, I guess that all boils down to integrity. I won't even go into the department of morality, right? Because I might sound a little bit too judgy. Uh, but that's basically that, you know. We've had a broken system at the top, Washington, D.C., Congress, the executive office underneath this current regime and uh, the regimes prior to President Trump, that I think perhaps it's because of everything that these people were doing in our country. Because just imagine it. If you have the legislative, executive, and judiciary of the country which are in fact corrupt, right? Doing what they do, it trickles down to what? The businessmen, the, finance, the, the tops of business leaders. And that trickles down to what? 
anyone below them. Now imagine that going on full steam ahead for at least the last 60 years, and then perhaps we can be begin to understand why culture, society, all that kind of thing is broken in America. Because the morale has been uh, destroyed. And the people who believe that there's no type of, uh, no type of um, accountability to be held, just stay silent. That was then, ladies and gentlemen, that was then. I, I really do feel that at this point in time, we're getting to a point to where that won't fly anymore. And of course, I am an eternal optimist, so uh, I will maintain that regardless of the historical record of corruption and uh, the lack of accountability that has um, been applied towards the people of this nation, as well as everyone else in the world. Because after all, uh, we should be an example to other countries based on the reason why America is even here. We are an example to other nations, but, uh, well, I guess we kind of stopped being a good example to other nations about uh, January 21st, 2021. <laughs> we had a brief reprieve where uh, we had the respect and uh, we had the, uh, I would say, the respected fear. Not, not like they were afraid of us, but it's kind of like, well, um, you know, America is back. But uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes, guys. That We'll see how that goes. Um, nothing I'm going to lose sleep over because uh, as I know as long as we keep doing what we're doing, staying on point, sharing the word, and uh, involving ourselves to whatever extent that we are able to, that we will overcome this. Because as I've said before on this show, I wholeheartedly believe that at this point in the history of our nation... Uh, we are much farther along to actually restoring, dare I say, recapturing our republic. Uh, so we just got to keep on moving, ladies and gentlemen. At no point in time were this many citizens of this nation awake. At no point in time were this many politicians. And I know it's still like a dozen only, right? It's only like a dozen, but that's still more than we've ever had. That's enough to hope. But that's also at the federal level. At the state level, we have a lot more elected officials who are actually doing their job, and their job is to be a representative uh, voice of the people, representing us, but our will and our voice. And we're seeing that coming out more and more in other states. Do, do I need to put Arizona on the table as an example of that? Kind of is a question. Uh, because, yeah, we see it, guys. I mean... It looks kind of heady whenever you're thinking about Washington, D.C. and the Senate and uh, the representatives up there. It's like, dang, we got all those people and like only five to 12 of them are actually fighting for our rights. And even then, sometimes that's questionable. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, along with uh, um, having that faith um, and also backing it up with good works, uh, we do need to... Um, have that trust. But who is it that said trust but uh, verify? Hmm. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Trust but verify. And once you verify, make sure you do something about it. Because I think the follow through on the action is also one of the elements that kind of set us back in regards to uh, uh, maintaining 
this gift of a nation that was given to us that we fought for, right? But who could have guessed? Who could have guessed a wily group of individuals could um, break away from a monarchy and uh, start their own nation, last as long as we have? You know that they were uh, trying to take us down from the jump, right? That, that those plans have been in store for a very long time, and I cannot wait, personally, uh, to finally be able to read those stories, the real histories of America. Um, and I just, uh, I just pray that that day is not too far off, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Before we get started into today's report, let's go ahead and jump over into the... Uh, chat real quick. If you'd like to engage with us in the chat room, uh, I would recommend heading on over to the foxhole.app or pill.net, unless you're a troll, but hey, hmm, I don't know. I will leave it up to the community over there to decide. <laughs> I will leave it up to the community over there to decide whether or not you're welcome, but hey, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. I would say if you want to be a troll, do it in a civil way and a respectful way. And uh, we could probably still get along, even if you disagree. Uh, but great community over there. And I usually, uh, I usually go off the chats over there. Let's see who we got tonight. Joyful June. Good evening. Hiya, Mr. C. Oh, and I got to say hello to Railanon because I saw Mr. Railanon a lurking. And uh, hey there, sir. Good evening. Thank you for the 117 gold pills. Yeah, yeah, we're on a little bit late. We went on like 30 minutes late today. It was a busy day. Like, um, I will act for one, I say it was a busy day, but for one, I got up, I got up later than usual today. I slept in. Then I was watching the hearings also. Uh, the Pennsylvania hearing, guys, that one was interesting. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that also. Very interesting hearing. Very interesting hearing. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and then uh, I got into, uh, I, I received a phone call. So uh, I wasn't able to finish watching it. But um, I really wonder where it's going to go. That hearing was uh, in regards to the subpoenas that uh, the uh, Pennsylvania Senate has issued uh, to move forward with their forensic audit or their audit or their investigation, I think is what they're calling. I don't even think they're calling it an audit. And I don't know if that's because they're trying to get away from the language of audit, you know, since that word has been demonized and uh, tossed left and right like a uh, bag of garbage, um, you know, uh, or if it's because um, they're not really having any intentions of doing an audit, because uh, when it comes to Senate pro tempore, um, the Senate pro tempore over there in, uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, I don't trust him. I really don't trust him. Uh, because everything up to this point in Pennsylvania, all I've seen is him derail and delay any types of investigations or audit into election fraud in the Keystone State. So that's kind of what I'm thinking there. We'll see how it goes, but I'll, I'll share more information with you guys on that in just a sec. Good evening, 123SKG. How are you doing tonight? Joyful June says, Georgia's, uh, da -da -da -da, Georgia's election was stolen. I'm a Georgia girl born and raised. Oh, what's up, sweetie? Those Dominion machines are not wanted or needed. Indeed. Truer words were never said, Joyful June. And uh, glad to see we have someone from the Peach State in the house today. We were talking about Georgia yesterday, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about them today. I mean, the, uh, the blatant 
mismanagement, right, of the uh, 2020 election in Georgia is just beyond me. Um, and uh, in my opinion, ma'am, they could have decertified that six months ago or more. They had all of this information that would have led to a lack of confidence in their um, electoral system over there in Georgia. And I think, honestly, that alone, especially with the evidence that was documented, not just a surmise, not just dreamed up, not just conspiracy theorists. They could have decertified that long time. It was documented. As we covered that yesterday, we kind of did a, uh, we kind of did a reprisal on uh, some of the harder points. And then we talked about David Perdue also, who is suing uh, Fulton County um, with this entire laundry list of, uh, of findings, you know, that included the documentation from uh, the Secretary of State's office that included documentation from the efforts of voter GA and Garland Favorito. We're talking Garland Favorito today, guys, though, for sure, just so you know. All right. How exciting. There's some states that are really exciting to be in. Uh, I mean, for someone like me, it's exciting. For someone who lives in the states and who doesn't really uh, track news, uh, um, it might not be as exciting. I'm like, man, I'd love to be in Arizona right now. There is so much going on over there. Man, I would love to be in Georgia right now. There is so much going on over there. uh, Somewhere where I feel like I could really make a difference. But you know what? I guess I got to tackle the rhinos in my own backyard first, right? Before I try and uh, do something else. So I guess that is what it is, as they say. Victoria, good evening. Victoria says, exactly. I was thinking, what did the parents get and who were they or who are they? They should have been the lightning bolt. That is how God uses us. Parents, yes. <laughs> uh, you, must, you, must be, you must be relating that to the way these people are raised, I would imagine, and uh, how they can just get away with these things. Yeah, you know. Uh, how did that person uh, grow up? What kind of household were they raised in? That as an adult, they can have uh, a lack of morals, be scrupulous, right? But uh, yeah. Yeah, indeed. Indeed, ladies and gentlemen, that is a good question. Good evening, Mike Mars. He says, uh, you are on point. Ah, welcome. Uh, or thank you. <laughs> welcome. Thank you, sir. Good to see you in the audience. Joyful June says, yes, I agree, uh, Mr. C. These evil people are going to go. People are fed up to hear with it. Yeah. Yep. It's getting to a breaking point. I'm, uh, we all wish it could have come sooner, you know, this breaking point. Uh, but... Things happen the way, the way they need to happen. And kind of right now, the way I'm looking at it is so much, um, so much, um, oh, sorry there, uh, so much uh, corruption and fraud is just coming out. You know, uh, the corruption and fraud that is coming out into the light, being reported, being recognized, being seen uh, is happening so much it's like the corruption is no longer a drip drip. Like the dam has busted and everyone is looking at it, just spill out its sewage, right? And not even clean up after itself that uh, people are just, they're done. You know, they're done. Um, so yeah, it would have been nice if it happened sooner. But if that dam had not busted, there may be 
many other avenues of corruption that we may not have seen in 2022, 2024, 2028. Same thing with the elections and the voter fraud. There have been uh, 20 plus ways that they uh, actually committed fraud, like 20 plus different types of fraud across the nation. But if we had decertified or if we had not even certified back in uh, January, uh, we would never have discovered some of the things that they are doing now. Uh, Because I don't know if an audit would have happened had they chosen not to certify the elections. Heck, for all we know, the Democrats may have tried to do a forensic audit. Wouldn't that be an interesting turn in history, right? Wouldn't that be an interesting timeline? The only thing about that, though, is I don't know if I would trust a Democrat to forensically audit anything, right? I'd be like, we need, to, we need an auditor to audit the auditors because we need to make sure that this work is right. Because there's no telling what they could have done. No telling what they would have done. They probably would have just printed out more ballots, right? <laughs> no telling what they would have done. But hey, at least now we can recognize, identify, see, understand exactly how deep This corruption runs and we know it runs deep, but I mean the meticulous things. I mean the blueprints. I mean, I mean the things that you're not expecting to find. And a lot of that has happened. And just as well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just thankful that we have enough people right now awake and aware to it, but also that we have enough people right now actually doing something about it. I know I say, actually, it sounds a little diminishing, but people are doing something. They're following through. Follow through is the toughest part of the job. And it is usually, uh, it is usually the thing that we don't do. We don't accomplish. We will talk about it. We will brainstorm. We will plan. But if there's no follow through, well, I'm sure I don't need to, uh, I don't need to uh, get off into that topic too much. The speak uneasy. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Good to have you in the audience, sir. Good to see you. <laughs> oh yeah and uh let's see here joy oh it was joyful june i know raffensperger and kemp betrayed us big time yeah oh huge 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 um i was looking at a whole bunch of other articles about kemp right now um yesterday and today uh because again uh he has uh to deal with david Perdue. He has to deal with Stacey Abrams, which I, you know what, between Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams, I could totally see this scenario. So close your ears if you don't want this image in your mind. But I could imagine Kemp and Abrams, what was it, what do we call, what, what, did, what did they name her yesterday? Snaky Abrams? The big old uh, boa constrictor python herself, right? In, uh, in zebra stripes. <laughs> I could imagine, uh, I could imagine them having this kind of weird rendezvous-ish type of relationship where, uh, Kemp is into getting sat on. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry. I had to say it. He already, he already bowed down to, uh, to Abrams once. I'm sure he would do it again. But yeah, he's dealing with Purdue and he's dealing with Abrams, you know, and so, uh, yeah, it was interesting. But have you ever noticed... And maybe Joyful June, since you are a Georgian, how do you, Georgian or Georgianite? I don't, I don't know how you would say a Georgia citizen. <laughs> uh, but it's like every time I see a picture of that man, he looks like he is in distress. <laughs> 
there I think even on his Twitter page, like his uh one of his his main pictures with him and his family, and he looks like he's in agony. And I just wonder if that's his soul crying out because he knows accountability is coming. Like that is funny. It is so funny. Uh anyhow, yeah, good good convo. I'm sure more of that will come up. Good evening, Ping254. How are you doing? <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you in the audience tonight. Awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> and uh, let's see here. Two Rivers is in lurk mode. Good evening, Two Rivers. How you doing? Yeah, I'm sorry, Joyful June. I said cover your ears. Okay. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys. Let's see what we got here for you today as we get started. We're going to stop. Uh, All right, we got a statement from President Trump coming right at you. Let's see what the boss has to say. Released today, December 15th. God, God, I can't even believe it's already December. I, I feel like I say that every end of the year, but we probably all do. Uh, here, President Trump is talking about Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York. Let's see what he's got to say about her. Uh, Letitia James wants to politically weaponize her position as attorney general instead of exemplifying impartiality and protecting the interests of all New Yorkers. While she pretends that she suspended her short-lived campaign for New York governor to go after me, she conveniently fails to mention that she could not garner any support and her poll numbers were abysmal. She had no chance of even coming close to winning. Despite weeks of campaigning, she was losing to Governor Hochul by what would have been a massive landslide. She didn't drop out of the race for a higher purpose or to finish existing business. I wonder what that would be. She dropped out because her campaign was a complete failure, possibly because the citizens of New York saw how unfairly and viciously she and other highly partisan New York Democrat prosecutors were treating President Donald J. Trump. It's called prosecutorial misconduct. Rather than continue to waste her time and taxpayer resources on a long-continuing witch hunt against the Republican Party and me, she should focus her attention on helping to resurrect the once great state of New York where crime and poverty continue to wreak havoc with murder, rape, drug sales, and just about every other form of crime at record levels. It goes on. And now with just, with a just announced highest unemployment rate in the nation. Ooh boy. New York is dying before our very eyes and all the Democrat prosecutors are focused on is how we can get and punish Donald Trump who many would say has done over the years a spectacular job for New York. And I think that was actually one of the facts that um, woke up a lot of people. That fact right there, that uh, President Trump was the star child of New York. He was the golden child, you know. Everyone wanted to be Trump. Every, uh, every hip-hop, bebop, dance to your drop, bad rapper wanted to uh, live like Trump. Heck, you even, had, uh, you even had people in the fashion industry 
and uh, even across the pond, who adored the Trumps, including uh, was Ivana, you know. So um, quickly how things changed when he challenged their power. And again, like I said, that actually woke a lot of people up. You know, that was one of the reasons why after my dog was out of the race and I was like, well, who the heck is there now? I had to really take a serious look at Trump because I was not a fan of his the day he came down that escalator. Of course, I didn't even realize he was coming down the escalator then because I was not paying attention to the man. All I knew is that he was going to run, you know, uh, but man, the journey has been since then has been an, uh, an astounding, I would say an amazing journey. And I know some people would frown upon a phrase like that, considering all of the, uh, all of the, uh, challenges that we faced since that time, since, you know, he, he, uh, we were blessed with the reprieve of a president like him. Oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but yeah, it, it has been an amazing journey. If, if, uh, we can see ourselves through the end of this journey, if we can make it to that finish line, I think most definitely this would qualify as an amazing and historical journey, uh, that, um, we are all blessed to be a part of because this is all part of getting our country back and also, again, of uh, refortifying ourselves in, in the world as a leader uh, for freedom and uh, human rights. <laughs> all of that good stuff, guys. The example to the world as uh, we have been that shining city on the hill. Uh, we must return to that. We will return to that. We just got to hang on. <laughs> lurkers rule. All right, really long. Hey, I don't got nothing wrong with lurkers. Probably got about 20 or 30 of them right now. I, I don't mind it at all. I know we're all good. And uh, I do appreciate you coming up to say hello, though, Mr. Elanon. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Joyful June. He is distressed. I think they got to Kemp when the boyfriend of his daughter was killed in a fatal... Yeah. Oh, killed in a fatal car crash. I thought that thing blew up. <laughs> I thought it was like, uh, who's that one guy? He was the uh, reporter. Was it Andrew Breitbart? The one whose uh, engine was like 500 yards away because it exploded, right? Ah, man, that is craziness. Crazy. Yeah, I remember when that happened, Joyful June. And I was like, dang, I was honestly surprised they didn't take his daughter out. Uh, but her boyfriend... Um, but I guess that sent a clear enough signal, didn't it? Mr. Ping says, uh, Mr. C, a lot calmer this evening. Oh, yesterday I was a little fired up, wasn't I? Were you here yesterday, Mr. Ping? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, anyways, okay. Railing on! Wowzers, thank you so much. Railing on gifting an EMP. Wow, thank you, Relanon, for your generosity and for supporting the show and the broadcast and all the other shows that we do here at the Mr. C channel and Mr. C TV. Uh, that means a lot. Thank you so much. And uh, Merry Christmas to you as well. I, your uh, generosity is amazing. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, Letitia James. <laughs> totally, uh, totally derailed myself. Letitia James. Letitia James, ladies and gentlemen. So, yeah, Letitia James... Uh, speaking of which, like I wasn't aware that, uh, she was up against Hochul, but of course that would have been, 
you know, during that section segment of the campaign for governor. But man, President Trump here totally just went for it. He just totally railed into her. He he clocked her. <laughs> that's a little I would say that's a little below the belt, but think about what they've done to him. That's a counterpunch right there is what we call it. Um, but yeah, got to bring, uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure the East Coast and the Left Coast, well, we'll leave it to the New England states on the East Coast, right? Uh, but uh, I'm pretty sure, and then they, they once had their moments, you know? Uh, but they need to be, they need to be saved as well, ladies and gentlemen, you know? They need to be saved as well. But yeah, that is what that is. Uh, he calls it prosecutorial misconduct. I would call it uh, prosecutorial tribu- tribulations, and uh, uh, just them continuously going after him. But uh, we'll see. There's got to be a reason why that a statement like that is coming up. But I know uh, Letitia James, according to some of recent articles, uh, is still continuing her witch hunt against President Trump and is totally, totally hell bent on uh, getting him indicted. So, um, well, the man's a fighter. So are we. We got to carry on, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's jump into Georgia now, ladies and gentlemen. Want to talk about this hearing that they had today. Now, um, this is going to wrap up Georgia for us, uh, at least unless something else develops tomorrow, which I don't think anything will develop till Friday. Uh, But I wanted to wrap up some things about Georgia, uh, particularly when we were talking about it yesterday. So um, just a real quick recap of where we left off yesterday, because we were talking about uh, uh, specifically the uh, judicial, the courts, and how all of the cases for voter fraud or voter uh, election integrity um, have been, you know, put on the back burner. They keep getting pushed back, pushed back. And uh, specifically, we were talking about uh, the uh, Judge uh, Amaro yesterday. We were talking about how, um, because in David Perdue's uh, lawsuit against Fulton County, um, voter GA's Garland Favorito, the um, information that they had um, researched and discovered, investigated in regards to their claims of election fraud in Georgia were included in that lawsuit. And I was sharing with you guys how um, Judge Amaro had rescheduled the hearing for voter GA's case about election ballot fraud so that this way they could review the physical ballots. And you guys remember how we talked about that uh, the uh, Georgia state attorneys, this is, this is literally, guys, the Georgia Attorney General's office. Georgia, which basically means that the GA of Georgia is literally fighting with the citizens over election integrity and transparency, which says a lot. So um, the, the, I hope the voters of Georgia are paying attention But um, basically what happened in that hearing, and this was in September, the uh, Georgia Attorney General's office and uh, the the Georgia State Attorneys who were representing uh, Fulton County told Judge Amaro that the state was already doing an audit of the ballots. And at that point, Judge Amaro went ahead and rescheduled the entire hearing. He gave them a month. He gave them like 20 something days to... uh, to return with their findings on those ballots so they could go forward with the proceedings and decide whether or not uh, voter GA even needed to review those ballots physically. Um, So 
here's here's the skinny, ladies and gentlemen. We got the skinny on it uh, because apparently this case ended on October 13th. And what ended up happening is the session reconvened and Judge Amaro dismissed the case outright. Okay, dismissed the case outright. And the uh, Georgia state attorneys lied about having this, um, this uh, ballot review, okay? And I listened to an interview with Garland Favorito earlier today. Um, I, can't, I think it was with CD Media. And uh, the interviewer, the anchor, asked him if they were whatever came out of the lies that the uh, Georgia state attorneys said in court. And that's perjury. You know, they totally flat out lied. And unfortunately... Voter GA was never able to find evidence that they lied, um, which means that they were never able to get an answer as to whether or not the state was actually doing a ballot review, okay? Which was the whole reason why the hearing was put on hold for a month, okay? But on October 13th, Judge Amaro just dismissed the whole case. So Voter GA and their efforts to get access to the ballots to do a physical review went on from like... May, all the way until October. Okay, the long game, right, guys? And I got to tell you guys, there is something about that man's spirit, George, I mean, George, I was going to say, uh, uh, what is his name again? Favorito, George Favorito. There's something about the spirit of Garland Favorito, guys, like, he's just received another setback, y'all. He's just received another setback, okay? But he continues to fight, and he does it in a pleasant manner, which is just amazing. You know, like he doesn't get bent out of shape. He doesn't get, you know, upset. He doesn't, you know, curse at the sky. Um, he just says, you know, uh, that's just the way go- we, we are going to continue. Uh, the good news about the ruling that Judge Amaro gave on that initial case is that it is now in appeals. So it may still come up again. Okay. Uh, the thing that really puts a question mark on this case for me, particularly in reference to David Perdue, is that David Perdue recommended that Judge Amaro presides over his lawsuit. Okay, having Judge Amaro preside over his lawsuit is like having the Georgia Bureau of Investigations presiding over an audit of the county's elections. Not when the Georgia Bureau of Investigations is staffed by happy faces and there's no telling what other types of corrupt people. No, 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 no. We need something independent, right? I'm sure you all would agree. Okay, so let's talk about today's hearing. Uh, Today's hearing was not good for the voters in Georgia. It was not good for election integrity. Um, It was not good for Garland Favorito. But the man remains optimistic. And for that, I respect him like crazy, okay? Uh, the, um, hearing was this morning, uh, I think it was 10 AM Georgia time. And, uh, basically what this hearing had to do with was the, uh, Dominion voting machines and their attempt to get them banned, um, barred from use in any elections in the state of Georgia. Now here's an interesting point, which this totally just boggles my mind because I was not aware of this. But apparently, back in October of 2020, there was a case that was adjudicated 
where the court had found that the Dominion machines violated statutes of Georgia law because the way the uh, Dominion voting machines work is they accumulate the votes in the form of a um, QR code, okay? And so, you know, say you have like um, a ballot uh, tape, right, that tells you the reads, okay? Well, you can go back and you can audit those tapes, right? You can look at it. You can understand it. You can see the numbers. It's in English <laughs> or it's in, it's in some type of recognizable, you know, uh, um, um, typeset. But here you have it being turned into a QR code. So back in October of 2020, the courts ruled that that was a violation of voters because they could not verify that information. So this is back in October 20. Okay, in October 20. Violates Georgia state laws. Two statutes is what it violated. So um, Garland Favorito files this uh, lawsuit to make sure they they don't use Dominion voting machines. And, uh, And on the same premise, on the same premise that the QR codes violates, et cetera, you know, they didn't go after any of the other things, uh, I guess that they could have, but that would be because I, I'm sure they can't call and uh, they can't call and reference the state of Arizona and their findings and their audit, which I mean, that makes sense, right? You know, you want to make sure you keep it within your house, first of all. But second of all, um, it would it would look better if you had actually audited the machines and made the findings yourself and all that stuff. Um, Because otherwise, I guess you could chalk it up as hearsay. And then that's not to mention that Arizona has just been uh, has just been um, lambasted left and right for their efforts to uh, restore integrity to our elections. But uh, the judge today, the judge today, who is basically, uh, from what I read, uh, in cahoots, seeming on the same side as the Georgia attorney general's office, dismissed the case. Okay. They dismissed the case on Dominion voting machines. So the way it looks right now is that come the next elections in Georgia, you guys may still be using Dominion. Now, don't don't quote me on that. Don't take that to the bank because a lot can happen between now and then, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, But most unfortunately, the case was dismissed, but a ruling was not given. So um, a ruling will be given on Friday. For the hearing. So the judge will set a ruling on that and then we'll see what really happens. But uh, the judge basically said point blank, almost verbatim, that we should trust the QR codes. I was like, really? Okay, trust a language you don't trust a whole bunch of like blocks. <laughs> like, uh, okay, uh, we can we can take confidence in a QR code that gives us no discernible or, uh, you know, retainable data makes no sense whatsoever, but that's how the judge feels. The judge feels that voters should trust the QR codes. And uh, get this, she also acknowledged, she also acknowledged that um, the QR codes have not been inspected. So trust the QR codes, even though no one's done the job, no one's had the follow through to actually test those QR codes and see if what they present is accurate. She acknowledged that. No one's ever done a test on the QR codes, but you should trust them. So that was uh, actually rather ridiculous, ladies and gentlemen. But like I said, that doesn't look too good for uh, Georgia. 
Uh, hopes and prayers are still there, ladies and gentlemen, and so is my faith. Um, the judge name on that uh, hearing today, her name was Judge Kimberly Esmond Adams. Okay, Kimberly Esmond Adams. In case any of you all are curious, that's what they got going on over there at the moment. And uh, I don't really recall how uh, long that hearing was. Let me see here. Here's an article. This is from uh, the Georgia Record. It's a very short one. GA Judge... Uh, GA judge um, seems to agree to dismiss argument that Dominion machines are illegal as found by court in October 2020, ruling pending. And uh, it's a really short article. Like this is the, I was expecting like a really long article. It's just that paragraph. Basically everything that I said summed up in two sentences. Boy, they are so good at being concise. But yeah, Judge Kimberly Esmond Adams in Georgia was seemingly allied from the beginning with the GA Attorney General's office in arguments before the court on a motion to dismiss the voter GA case requesting relief from a finding from Judge Totenberg in October of 2020 that the Dominion machines violated GA laws as the ballots were not verifiable via a QR code that could be nefariously changed. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That was one of the big ones today. And uh, I, th- I actually have thought about uh, broadcasting these today. Um, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, I regret not broadcasting the Pennsylvania hearing. Because that one was lit, y'all. Like, we had the lawyers flailing their hands. We had the judges cutting them off. Like, I was like, oh. I was like Pennsylvania, talk to me. <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 wait. Is that judge on the side of America? Is that judge on the side of election integrity? It was really exciting uh, what, what happened in Pennsylvania. Uh, but again, guys, stay tuned. We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up. All right, so let's see what else I got here. I think we have another Georgia one that I'm going to talk to you guys about. Oh, yeah, it's our friends over here at Just the News. Democrat push for ballot drop boxes boomerangs as key Georgia senator moves to outlaw them. I mean, here I thought they already outlawed, right? We had a... The C Report is 100% listener supported. If you enjoy the broadcasting that we bring to you with the C Report and other shows on this podcasting platform, we ask that listeners lend their support. Become a monthly donor when you go to anchor.fm slash the C report slash support or click on the support button over there at the anchor.fm slash the C report website, where you can help sustain future episodes of the C report and other broadcasting on this podcast station. Every bit helps ladies and gentlemen. And as always, I thank you for your support. We had Brian Kemp and his uh, brand new uh, campaign uh, election advertisements talking about how he passed one of the strictest uh, and most fortified election integrity law passed. And, you know, it was just a little bit too late and a little bit too little, Brian. And I don't even understand how this man thinks that he's going to run for governor again. But anyways, let's see what this article has to say as we uh, continue our adventure into election integrity efforts. It says, in the summer before... Oh, wait, let me expand this for you guys one moment. 
In the uh, summer before the contentious November 2020 election, the Democrats' most influential election lawyer, Mark Elias, used the pandemic to urge liberal grassroots groups to press for the deployment of mass drop boxes to collect an expected wave of absentee ballots. So we know all that stuff. Let's get to the juice. Let's get to the, let's get to the meat and potatoes. Okay, it says right here in this paragraph. Not that one, but this one. Uh, now that the movement to have the uh, ballot to the drop boxes is facing pushback from influential Georgia Republican State Senator Butch Miller, he authored the state election integrity law passed in March that tightened the rules for but did not eliminate drop boxes. Okay, there we go. That's the ticket. Tighter rules for drop boxes but no elimination. Now, Miller says he believes the drop boxes are too ripe for abuse and should be eliminated, introducing Senate Bill 325 this month to change the election integrity law to eliminate the authority for drop boxes. Uh, Butch Miller says, sorry, uh, Butch Miller says drop boxes were introduced as an emergency measure during the pandemic, but many counties did not follow the security guidelines in place, such as the requirement for camera surveillance on every drop box. Moving forward, we can return to a pre-pandemic normal of voting in person. Removing drop boxes will help rebuild the trust that has been lost. Many see them as the weak link when it comes to securing our elections against fraud. For the small number of Georgians who need to vote absentee, that will remain as easy and accessible as it was before 2020. Miller's bill comes as he prepares to run for lieutenant governor of Georgia next year, and his position on drop boxes is certain to pit him in opposition to the leading Democrat candidate for governor, voting rights activist, Snakey Abrams. Abrams has been an unabashed supporter of drop boxes, cheering them on in uh, other states. Uh, yeah. When uh, Snakey Abrams did her Roll Around America tour. Anyhow, it's, uh, I think this is it. Yeah. It's, because uh, I don't know what it is about Just the News, but their website slows my, my ca a computer down. Okay. So that's the next article coming up. Let me uh, hop over here real quick. Since we've already had enough distractions, right? <laughs> I'm going to jump into chat. All right. I'm going to jump back into chat before I get derailed again, right? Let's see what you guys is talking about. Two Rivers says, decorated army veteran and others arrested by New York uh, Police Department in the Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that headline. Uh, apparent, I didn't see the video, but apparently it was, uh, it was an intense video, according to the headline. Uh, that's a shame. New York and California, ladies and gentlemen. Gremlin, Hochul, and uh, Gruesome Newsome. Yeah. Shining examples, right? Shining examples of what it means to be a tyrannical governor in your state. Uh, let's see here. I will not be buying anything Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> you know, uh, I haven't been there in years. But is, I mean, if that's exclusive to New York, uh, but no, yeah. But you see, there you go. There you go, guys. That's what the point of it was. The point of it was to get everyone so up in a tizzy over fear that they could rely on uh, the people, the citizens, to uh, do their dirty work for them and to uh, enforce these uh, illegal mandates. 
<laughs> let's see here. Uh, let's see here. What is that now? And then, uh... yeah, that's a good point. One, two, three, SKG says it's sad that the New York police department is complying. That is sad, right? There is no rule of law in the state of New York anymore, ladies and gentlemen. There is no rule of law. And that is true also. That is true also. Um, Ron DeSantis is recruiting officers. Yeah, he was offering them like a moving sign-on bonus. Like, I don't know, was it like $5,000 or more to move down to Florida and go work in their, in their uh, departments? Smart and kind of cool for Ron DeSantis to make a move like that. And, and what kind of message does that send the nation when uh, one state tells the other states, hey, we'll take your cops if you're going to abuse them like that. And, uh, but uh, Speaking Easy does make a good point there. He says, shame on those cops for upholding unconstitutional uh, mandates. That was paraphrased. <laughs> that was paraphrased. All right, guys. Okay. Let's hop back into Georgia, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> apparently, uh, apparently talking about the judge in Georgia, Kimberly Adams, has really, really uh, struck a nerve there. Two Rivers says, she's a witch. Try witch Kimberly Demonic Adams. I'm sure that's something we can all agree on, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's go ahead and move on. <laughs> uh... Oh, one, one last thing. Uh, Two River says, we want to hear breaking news from you, Mr. C. Well, I don't break the news here. I just share the news, guy. <laughs> uh, thank you for gifting the can, Tam Garel. Good to see you tonight, ma'am. December 28th, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, Judge Adams was a bad guy. Most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> Hey, Pilled by the Rabbit, how are you doing today? All right, guys, let's get back to Georgia. Let's get back to Georgia so that we can, uh, we can keep this report moving along. Okay, guys, so what is, this, uh, what is this article again that we're looking at? It's from the World Tribune. Video shows traffickers dumping thousands of ballots in Georgia drop boxes in the middle of the night. Do you guys remember this story? Uh, let me see, am I getting ahead of myself or did I skip an article? Did I skip an article? I might have skipped an article. Uh, so we're, we're, we're still talking about Butch Miller here, right? And the drop boxes and how he's introduced, you know, a new bill to make them illegal. So uh, what, was, what was that all going on, right? Do you, do you all remember the story by any chance about the drop boxes and how we had an organization by the name of True the Vote that was doing their own independent investigation into the drop boxes and had identified what they termed uh, as a ballot, no, not ballot harvesting. Was it ballot harvesting? How do they identify it? Let me see. I think I got them here. Ballot trafficking. That's what they called it. They called it ballot trafficking uh, because uh, through various data that they had acquired using a, a ping back method on cell phones to track cell phones, they identified like 24-ish, 26-ish individuals whose cell phone data showed them on a consistent and repetitive route to various ballot boxes around the state of Georgia. And uh, some video that they had acquired uh, 
showed individuals, same car, same person, repeatedly going to a drop box and putting in like handfuls of ballots. Okay. Now that story has also kind of been memory hold. Uh, I believe it was in August that Breitbart broke that story and then it kind of pittered into nothing. And I was actually, uh, like looking into that prior to the show. And the most information that I got out of it was that, um, one of the individuals who had funded true the vote for this project, this investigation was suing them to get their money back. So it doesn't look good, but, uh, they've been trying to derail that, that, uh, that investigation. And I, I would have thought more would have come out by then because she was doing work in Georgia I say she because uh, Elizabeth, I can't remember her last name, is the, the person who is uh, heading up through the vote. Uh, they're doing investigations into uh, Georgia, Arizona, Texas, and they're planning to get more going. In fact, here's the website so I can show it to you all. That's true the vote. All about, again, securing our elections. And uh, let me see here. Here's the report. Oh, that's so you can report, not this is the report. Uh, here's the Breitbart article, August 29th, uh, 2021. In case anyone hasn't heard it or you're new to the show or new to real news, uh, it says here, earlier this week, a document I'd written regarding one of our research projects made its way into an article published on Breitbart. It's about ballot trafficking. The report is accurate. Ballot trafficking is one of three investigations undertaken by True the Vote in particular areas of interest. We have not spoken publicly of these investigations for various reasons, but primarily because the work is ongoing and time is short. So uh, here's what they did. Um, it says, in late 2020, True the Vote engaged a select team of contractors and set out to determine whether widespread ballot trafficking was occurring as part of an organized criminal enterprise. We'd watched the mass mail out of paper ballots to highly inaccurate voter records, the harried installation of ballot drop boxes privately funded by billionaire tech magnets, and the hundreds of legislative changes, lawsuits, and consent decrees that fundamentally altered the election process. All of it came together in 2020 under the fog of COVID. It was planned. It was purposeful. purposeful. Having studied election processes for decades, our team was well aware of the pitfalls associated with America's uniquely insecure approach to elections. To test our trafficking theory, we acquired over 10 trillion location-based cell phone signals in major metropolitan areas across six states. Initially, we worked with whistleblowers and witnesses, but soon enough, the data alone told us the tale. Using mobile and GPS data, we mapped the travel patterns of ballot traffickers to ballot drop boxes. This tracking method is explained in great detail by the New York Times in a series they ran called The Privacy Project. They and others have published much about how mobile data was used to track President Trump and identify individuals at the January 6th event, false flag riot at the Capitol, Law enforcement uses this type of data routinely. So lest anyone say we did anything untoward, let us be very clear. All of this data is regularly bought and sold about all of us. And then there's what they found. Our findings reveal overwhelming evidence of ballot trafficking, some of which is highlighted in this article. Uh, 
All of our research included, uh, including suspected locations where ballots were delivered, processed, and distributed, along with the individual devices associated, has been submitted in the form of a formal complaint, along with all data, to the FBI. I think that's where they went wrong. <laughs> Briefings have been provided to state law enforcement and political leadership in several states. These conversations will continue to broaden in the day, in the coming days. Now, again, this guy's was in August, okay? Um, let's see here. We've also acquired over a pet, petabyte or a petabyte, petabyte of video surveillance data. The quality of this video is inferior overall. Lighting is bad. Cameras are poorly positioned. Timestamps are manipulated. Key timeframes are often missing. Nevertheless, we are working video by video using proprietary AI-based code we've written to screen the over 100,000 clips in our possession. The result... We are successfully finding video evidence that corroborates the digital data and supports the need for full investigations by law enforcement. And that's just an example of the routes that they, they, uh, they tracked or mapped. So anyways, that's a little bit about True the Vote and this article here is what that's talking about. The video shows these traffickers dumping. So yeah, good, re- good enough reason, right? Good enough reason why someone like uh, um, uh, Butch Miller went ahead and amended his own law and says, no, we just got to get rid of them. We just got to get rid of them. Ugh, Brad Raffensperger can't stand the man. Cannot stand the man. All right, guys, since we're on the topic of Georgia, and uh, this will be the last Georgia story for tonight, let's talk about the House Freedom Caucus. Because the House Freedom Caucus is about to expand from outside the walls of the Capitol and go abroad. And they are starting in Georgia, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Let's see here from Breitbart. And we're going to expand it. Launching pad for a national movement. Freedom Caucus expands to state legislatures with Georgia organization. That's exciting, guys. That is very exciting. It says here in this article, Uh, The House Freedom Caucus is now no longer just operating in the nation's capital, but launched the first of many state-level Freedom Caucuses here in Georgia, uh, Georgia State Capitol building on Tuesday morning. Gathered with more than 50 state legislators from around America, from at least 26 different states, a bicameral group of Georgia legislators from both the State House and the State Senate, announced the formation of the Georgia Freedom Caucus. The group is officially linked to the U.S. House Freedom Caucus and to a sprawling network of planned Freedom Caucuses in state legislatures nationwide that will be rolled out in the coming weeks and months. Now, that's pretty good exciting news, guys. Talk about going on the offense, right? Because we've been defending ourselves enough. And uh, let's see here. We had a state representative speaking, Georgia State Senator Greg Dolezal. Um, He will chair the Georgia group. Uh, He says that he has met with um, other representatives and senators from South Dakota and Missouri and even in Illinois, of all places, right? Could you imagine Illinois or California or New York having a state freedom caucus? Actually, you know, if you think about California actually being red... (laughs) That's possible. They could get it over there. Uh, State Representative Philip Singleton, who local sources told Breitbart News was a driving force in the creation of the group, said that there is no better time than now 
uh, for state legislatures to get even more engaged in battling the federal government. Singleton said in remarks that his hope is the Georgia Freedom Caucus, like the House Freedom Caucus in Washington, serves as the conscience of the Republican Party and helps usher in an era where conservative principles survive past campaign season and make it into law. That's very exciting. Singleton also said, Virginia, New Jersey, and the recent administration challenges in Texas show the real change show that real change cannot only be left to the few true conservatives in Washington. Like what? There's like, I don't know, more than 10, less than 15. (laughs) So yeah, Uh, he goes on the most important change, the most lasting change and the greatest check on federal government overreach must come from the grassroots at the state level. That is us, ladies and gentlemen. That is everyone listening to this broadcast. You are the grassroots. Today, it is my privilege and honor to announce the creation of the Georgia Freedom Caucus. Uh, The Georgia Freedom Caucus is a first in the nation uh, bicameral caucus of limited government and constitutional conservatives united in the case of liberty and a direct relationship with our partners in the House Freedom Caucus. He should throw an America first in there or something. Uh, Like the U.S. House Freedom Caucus, the Georgia Freedom Caucus will not publish a public list of members' names, but members are welcome to announce and discuss their participation in and membership of the group, several of them including Singleton and Dolezal, as well as State Senator Burt Jones and State Representative Charlize Byrd, did so on Tuesday morning, announcing their membership in the group. All right, and I think that's good there. Uh, Let's see here. Yeah, I think that I think we're good, guys. Oh, look, let's end with this. The Georgia Freedom Caucus is the first of what will be a series of similar organizations nationwide connected to each other and the House Freedom Caucus by a group called the State Freedom Caucus Network. This new venture is headed by its president, Andy Roth, the former Club for Growth Foundation Executive Director. Excellent. Oh, goodness, there's more. Huh. States with lawmakers at the rollout in Atlanta for this, uh, for this announcement included representatives and lawmakers from Wyoming, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Indiana, South Dakota, Mississippi, Arizona, Iowa, Illinois, Texas, Alaska, Idaho, and Nevada. Representative Andy Biggs of Arizona, the current and outgoing chairman of the US, uh, U.S. House Freedom Caucus, will soon be su- succeeded by Representative Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, um, and, uh, let's see here. That was, uh, that was told to Breitbart News. How crazy, how interesting. I'm telling you, there are more patriots out there than we might know. And we can thank the lamestream, shamestream, fake news, legacy media for hiding all of that vital information from everyone and trying to make us all feel like we're a bunch of wackos. But that is what they're there for, right? To propagandize, lie, and steer away from truth. Okay, guys. I think we're good. It, talks, it just talks a little bit more about the history of the U.S. Uh, House Freedom Caucus and some of its members, including Mark Meadows, former member, since he's uh, President Trump's chief of staff currently. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Just scanning my uh, things here. I swear I had another... I feel like I was going to talk about Burt Jones today, but we're okay. Okay, let's talk about Pennsylvania. 
Okay, the Pennsylvania hearing, ladies and gentlemen. What a hearing. Um, I was I was surprised mostly at what was going on in that hearing. So uh, just as a uh, just as a uh, an introduction to what was going on. Um, okay, so Pennsylvania guys, as you know, uh, the citizens of Pennsylvania have wanted a forensic audit for months. Okay, they've been calling it for months. Uh, we've had several organizations and elected officials who are taking up this cause, including one Senator Doug Mastriano, whom I hear is currently gonna, is going to be in a bid for governor in Pennsylvania. That'll be exciting. Um, but basically all of the efforts for any type of audit or investigation into the 2020 general election has either been derailed or delayed, okay? And what we saw happening the most and the most recent occurrences uh, one that should make everyone who's paying attention to Pennsylvania really prick their ears up is uh, what took place between uh, Doug Mastriano, who was the chair of the committee that was heading up this investigation, this audit into 2020, and um, Senate pro tempore. Um, what he, oh, you know, I don't have his name here. It's uh, Corman, Senator Corman. Pro tempore, right, of uh, of the uh, Senate in Pennsylvania, and um, he basically fired Doug Mastriano, and then went on Steve Bannon's war room and lied worse than Jesse Smollett, guys. Like, if you know how to read a lie, and I don't mean just trusting your gut and following your uh, following your discernment. Sorry, my nose itches, um, but I mean. Really, if you can visually read a liar when they're lying, right? If you know the, the body language, the cues that they make, you know, uh, just the squirming is enough, you know. But when um, Jack Corman was on Bannon's war room, he was saying that uh, Doug Mastriano basically quit. <laughs> and that was further from the truth. And even Doug Mastriano went on to the program later that same show and was like, oh, no, 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 no. He's like, he was like, he stonewalled everything I was trying to do. He wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't allow us to issue subpoenas. Um, and then he kicked me out of the chair. He kicked me off the committee, took me out, and he replaced him with uh, Senator Chris Dush. Um, and so Senator Chris Dush, with the support of, uh, is it Jake Corman? Uh, they have been overseeing this investigation. They're not calling it an audit per se. Um, and so the reason why they had the hearing today is because for this audit, uh, they are asking for uh, access to, uh, was it, 9 million voters, um, driver's licenses, and social security numbers. Well, specifically the last four digits of the social security number. Okay. 9 million voters. They want that data. So right away, what happens? Oh, you know it. You know, all of the liberal lefty voter rights organizations jumped up. You know that the Pennsylvania, um, um, uh, attorney general jumped up, you know, the Democrats were jumping up and they're like, you can't do that. Right. So, uh, let's see here. Uh, the Intergovernmental Operations Committee on September 15th held a party line vote requesting information for 9 million voters, just as stated. Now, GOP members voted 
uh, that uh, they were going to hire, and this happened, la- this happened late last month, uh, the GOP members voted that they were going to hire an Iowa-based business to uh, conduct the audit um, for $270,000 on a six-month contract, which could be extended due to litigation. So interesting, right? They managed to hire an independent contractor to come into their state and to perform this audit. As part of the audit, they need the information from the voters to match that data with voter rolls and, and all that stuff, right? You know, stuff that we're used to them doing. Uh, the name of the firm is called Sage Envoy. And the article that this came from made it a point to stress that Sage Envoy has no prior invest, uh, experience investigating elections, okay? Now, uh, committee chair Senator Chris Dush uh, previously said that the information would be used to cross-match and verify whether or not our voter registration system has duplicate voters, dead voters, and or illegal voters. So, and I think part of the reason with that is because um, they, they, they cleaned the voter rolls in Pennsylvania uh, after they were sued by PILF, the Public Interest Legal Foundation, at the beginning of the year, and that was that was against uh, Kathy Bookvar, the former, um, the former uh, acting Secretary of Snakes or Commonwealth in Pennsylvania. Um, now the lawsuits came, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Chris Dush and their investigatory team they wanted to they subpoenaed this information. Okay, they subpoenaed the information to get all of these, uh, all the data from the voter rolls. Now, the lawsuits came from voters' rights organizations and eight Pennsylvania voters. There was a total of 17, count them, 17 lawsuits. Okay, and uh, so they had to go on, they wanted to quash the subpoenas, is basically what they wanted. They wanted to, nope, they can't do it, can't do it. It was an interesting hearing, guys. So basically, a summation. You have a hearing in Pennsylvania where the judges need to decide if they're going to uh, dismiss these lawsuits and allow the Senate to get this information. That's pro-America, right? Or if they're going to go ahead and allow these lawsuits to stand and they bar the Senate from getting this information. Now, watching that hearing, guys... And I really, really wish I had broadcasted it. And the only reason why I say that is because it was live streaming, okay? It was live streaming from uh, the court. And it was an interesting hearing. And uh, they, are, they, they, don't, they don't save their, they don't archive their live streams. Like, they have a YouTube channel. I go over to the YouTube channel. It's like, oh, there's no video here. They don't have any videos on their channel. Uh, then I found the link to get into the hearing and it's live streaming. And once it was over, it was over. And here's the other thing about it. I was like, how did it end? I received an important phone call, so I was not able to see the end of that hearing. And I want to know what happened, but I may never know. I Every article I found about that hearing, none of them, none, and I mean zero articles gave any resolution to the hearing today. They just explained what happened, you know, the first hour and a half or so. Um, I was quite surprised, guys, because you had these lawyers and, and their main stance here was that um, 
it was uh, it was it would leave their it would leave their uh, it would leave their clients uh, open to identity theft. Uh, that uh, there was no grounds or basis for the Senate to request such information, and in some instances, uh, they said it would negatively impact Black voters and other underserved communities. Um, I think the funniest thing was probably that they kept on, and there were two lawyers that were basically uh, speaking on behalf of all of these. It was like, it was eight lawsuits in one hearing, okay? So you had two lawyers who were there basically uh, uh, speaking for their clients and one speaking for the state. Um, And they kept trying to bring Trump up into it. You know, the judges kept on cutting him off. You know, I was like, what? You know, I was like, really? I was like, okay. I was like, this is interesting. I was like, you have, there were like, there was like a panel of judges and there were like at least two or three of them that would like interrupt the lawyers as they were giving their, their testimony or their speeches or statements and just question them. And man, they, the lawyers were getting flustered and I was enjoying it actually. And, uh, you had one of them who was just like flailing his arms and, uh, talking about, oh, you know, if that's what Trump wanted. And one of the judges said, oh, we would love that to have Donald Trump in our courtroom telling us what he wants. And I was like, oh. <laughs> do we have just judges out here in America? I'm sure we do. I'm sure we do. We just, we hear more and more and more about the corrupt ones than we do the law abiding, the respecting ones, respectful ones. But uh, yeah, lawyers got really desperate. They got so desperate, they started to turn the entire hearing into a partisan issue. And of course, this is because there's never been any proven fraud and that the committee cannot hire someone from Iowa and hand over this voter data and have an audit. Can't do it. They tried to bring up Mastriano. They tried to bring up Trump. They'd be like, well, we're not talking about what happened in Arizona. We're talking about what's happening here. You know, and then when the lawyers try to get off into speculation, you know, uh, they'd be like, we're not talking about tomorrow. We're talking about today. I, I really enjoyed hearing that. I was like, man, this is crazy. But let's see if I can get you guys. Okay, here's an example. This is from the uh, Pennsylvania Capital Star. Here's an example. As I was saying, they don't give you any resolution. I read like three or four articles. There was zero resolution. They didn't say if the judges ruled, how they ruled, what they decided, none of it. Uh, but it says here, a Pennsylvania court weighs legislative subpoena issued as part of Senate election investigation. A panel of five judges heard arguments in the now consolidated case brought by legislative Democrats and Attorney General Josh Shapiro to challenge the review of the 2020 general and 2021 primary elections. And I'm sure you all might remember how uh, the 2021 primary elections were also botched. That was pretty bad. You can see why, and and a lot of Pennsylvanians uh, spoke up about it. But what we, uh, what was, uh, I think, what caught me the most about that is that they were actually broadcasting this on local news, where they were showing all the people who were upset. Everyone was giving it. They weren't hiding it because it was so obvious, you know. Now it says here, a legislative subpoena issued as part of a taxpayer-funded election investigation, specifically its request for the personal information of 9 million Pennsylvania voters, went before Commonwealth Court Wednesday with arguments surrounding its purpose and intragovernmental sharing of information. 
A panel of five judges heard arguments in the now consolidated case brought by legislative Democrats and Attorney General Josh Shapiro to challenge the review of the 2020 and 2021 general and primary elections and prohibit the release of voters' driver's licenses and partial social security numbers. If the court grants the challenger's request, the Department of State, which has election oversight, will not turn the identifying information over to the Senate Intergovernmental Operations Committee, the majority Republican panel leading the review. Most of the requested information is publicly available. State law, however, prohibits the public release of someone's driver's license number and social security number. The state agency has partially complied with the subpoena, but not its request for voter information. Now, uh, the attorney, this was the one whose arms were, were flailing, Matt Haverstick, said they don't want the Senate to have it because they don't like it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I take that back. This guy is representing, uh, this guy is representing the rhino, Senate President Pro Tempore, Jake Corman. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, that's what it boils down to. They just don't want the Republicans to have it because they're having a sham audit, which is the line that we've heard since March, April. Um, so let's skip over this election history. Uh, the review, however, aims to evaluate the strengths and weaknesses of Pennsylvania's electoral process. Uh, we have uh, Chief Deputy Attorney General Michael Fisher argued that the seldom used Senate panel does not have the authority to issue a subpoena for a so-called election investigation because election issues are typically outside its purview. He also said that complying with the sweeping request and handing over the identifying information could threaten voters' privacy and put them at risk of fraud and identity theft. Now, you know what that reminds me of, right? That reminds me of Arizona. That reminds me of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors refusing to hand over the routers because supposedly a device that is meant to transmit signals stores data. Makes no sense. But that's the angle that they use. That's another form of voter fraud. I told you there was more than 20 forms of it. More than 20 different ways that they commit voter fraud. And uh, believe me, ladies and gentlemen, lies of omission or withholding information, I think, definitely qualifies. We don't want you to get your hands on that data. Oh, no, not at all. Because we don't want you to know what we did in the dark of night. All right. Uh, let's see here. It goes on to say... Attorneys Clifford Levine, who represents Senate Minority Leader Jay Costa, Democrat, and Tamika Washington, who represents Philadelphia Democrat Senator Art Haywood and his wife Julie, also stressed the potential risks for voter privacy. Department of State provided similar information to the Pennsylvania chapter of the League of Women Voters, a challenger in the case in 2012 as part of a lawsuit filed by the organization to overturn a voter identification law. Attorneys for Corman and Dush looked to that 2012 decision to justify the Senate's panel's request and argue that one branch of government should be able to share information with another. Now, uh, Judge Ann Covey also grilled Fisher on whether the issue should be before the court and said she wasn't sure why the request for partial social security numbers was a point of contention. She says, 
I call my credit card company and give them my partial social security number all the time. <laughs> she was probably the one that said, oh, I wish uh, we had Trump in our courtroom today. <laughs> That's awesome. Fisher also argued that the Senate panel and the Republican caucus have not justified an adequate reason behind the legal request because Arizona. He added that neither the Senate GOP nor Envoy Sage LLC, an Iowa-based firm selected to conduct the investigation, has not outlined security measures to ensure voters' information is protected. Okay, so I think that's probably where I left off in the uh, in the hearing. Um. As part of its contract with Senate GOP Envoy Sage, which has no direct experience investigating elections, agreed to report any incidents and offer anyone affected by a possible breach of confidentiality at least one year of credit monitoring at the firm's expense. Without going into specifics, Dush and Envoy Sage founder Stephen Lahr have uh, vowed to keep data protected and touted the firm's credentials. However, they have not outlined specific details about security. Levine argued that since Senate Majority Leader Kim Ward, a Republican of Westmoreland, signed the contract with Envoy Sage, that means the Republican caucus could have access to voter information. So they're turning it into something partisan, okay? Uh, it's, because, uh, it's because the uh, Republicans caucus, the Republican caucus, they're the ones who signed off on this. They're the ones who hired him. Not, 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 uh, not anyone else in, in, uh, Pennsylvania legislature, you know? Um, so yeah. And, uh, that's where the article leaves off every article on this topic. So I don't know, maybe tomorrow someone will throw me a bone. <laughs> I really want to know how this ended, uh, because it was, it was an, it was an, it was the most animated courtroom session over election hearing I have seen since this started. Okay. And, and it was more animated than Giuliani's wedding. You know, it was, it was very animated. I was surprised to see those judges treating those lawyers the way that Democrat judges treat senators and representatives and witnesses who are fighting for election integrity. I was surprised. It took me a minute to realize what I was watching, but uh, there's a little bit of the skinny on that. So that happened today. Best believe I will be following up on that as best I can because I want to know what happened. And uh, I want to know why no one in the courts are talking about the whistleblower tapes that came out of Pennsylvania either. Because, again, we could decertify Pennsylvania yesterday. Okay, let's see what we got next. (laughs) Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we got a few more stories for you all tonight before we wrap it up. I guess I didn't get a picture of this dude. We don't need a picture of this man that we're about to talk about. Ugh. It's like, can Adam Schiff get any more screen time? I don't understand how this man is still sought out after in, by committees, by the TV networks. I can't believe this guy. I can't believe this guy is still given any credibility that they even look to him for advice, guidance, information, opinions. When he has such a terrible track record for being a proven liar. Proven liar. So this has to do with the J6 um, unselect committee and their investigation into the January 6th false flag rights. 
ridiculous that this man would be even involved, but it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Makes a lot of sense that uh, he would be involved with it, ladies and gentlemen. He would be involved. So what's the man lying about this time? What do you think? Uh, I pulled this article from Just the News because it was the most well-written article on this topic, I might say. Uh, Representative Jim Jordan on Wednesday... Oh, let me expand that, sorry. Excoriated Representative Adam Schiff for doctoring his text messages after the Democrat-led Congressional Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol false flag riot admitted to misrepresenting Jordan's communications. Okay. This is right on par with the Ukraine Trump transcript, guys. It's not as bad because uh, every line that came out of Schiff's mouth for the Trump-Ukraine transcript was obviously totally made up and false. He used the word... He used the, the word um, uh, reciprocity, and that was probably the only word that would have come out of Trump's mouth because he was using that word a lot at that time, okay? And uh, that was one of the words that everyone was picking on him about. But uh, it says here, oh, we know this. Yes, he lied. He lied. But um, Jordan, uh, Jim Jordan told Just the News it was doctored. It was a text message that was forwarded onto Mark Meadows from Jim Jordan. He said, this again shows how partisan, biased, and wrong this January 6th committee is. Who can trust anything they do if they're willing to doctor a document and mislead the American people? That's what I'm saying. How can they get away with this? How can they get away with stuff like this? You know, it's like, uh, you know, good old Joaquin Castro of Texas doctoring doctoring evidence against president trump in the second impeachment trial it may how can they still be in office how how can they not be tarred and feathered five times over it's insane that these people can still get away with this oh my goodness back into the article it says uh jordan was referring where'd you go referring to what transpired at a hearing on january 6th select committee on monday night Schiff claimed to have evidence showing Jordan on the eve of the Capitol breach pushing Meadows, who was serving as White House Chief of Staff at the time, to instruct then-Vice President Mike Pence to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. However, the text messages in question, which Just the News obtained, reveal that Schiff painted a distorted picture of the conversation. At the hearing, Schiff said he wanted to display some of the messages that Meadows received from members of Congress, noting the committee isn't naming the lawmakers while its investigation is ongoing. The California Democrat then displayed a graphic of one such messages, which read, On January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, shall call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. Period. Okay, period. And then, of course, Schiff goes on to describe the message as being proof that Congress was working with Trump to thwart the Democrat democratic process. So uh, that was that was the uh, that was the just gist of it right there. Uh, But now let's let's get to the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is that the message did not even come 
from Jim Jones. The message actually was forwarded from Jim Jones, but was originally sent to Jim Jones by uh, Joseph Schmitz. Now, Joseph Schmitz is an attorney and a former inspector general for the Department of Defense. So here you have Schiff saying, oh, look at Congress, lawmakers. They're working with Trump. And it wasn't even a lawmaker. It was a lawyer. Okay. Now, uh, here's what the uh, text of that message actually said. Okay. Actually said, like I said, lies of omission. Lies of omission are the same. Okay. As lying, as fraudulent perjury. Um, the, t- the text message wrote in full, read in full, good luck tomorrow. On January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all the electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. Dash. In accordance with guidance from founding father Alexander Hamilton and judicial presidents. No legislative act, wrote Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 78, contrary to the Constitution, can be valid. The court in Hubbard v. Lowe reinforced this truth, that an unconstitutional statute is not a law at all, is a proposition no longer open to discussion. Okay. And uh, that also went into appeal, and that appeal was dismissed, according to this article, according to what Attorney Schmitz wrote uh, to uh, Jim Jordan. Okay. The uh, article, the text message closes this way. Following this rationale, an unconstitutionally appointed elector, like an unconstitutionally enacted statute, is no elector at all. Now, Adam Schiff might not have outright lied in that statement, but clearly uh, he uh, cherry-picked the information he wanted to use. And uh, the change of punctuation in that um, doctored text message that he shared, that's, I mean, that's uh, not only is that a lie of omission, but changing the punctuation and that thereby doctoring the message, changing the meaning of it, taking it out of context. I, it's, in my opinion, that's like, that's like evidence of intent. Because you're lying. You're, you're knowingly deceiving people by changing the context in order to, uh, in order to uh, move one's own personal narrative along or uh, based on their own bias. It's insane, guys. I don't see... I don't, I, how, how, how come no one has like, made a motion in Congress to get the man out of there? That's another good question to ask. Could it be because there's a... More than five, but less than 10 actual America First representatives on the Hill? Probably. Probably. Probably exactly why. Uh, Let's finish up with this article. uh, Schmitz attached to uh, his text a four-page draft document detailing his legal reasoning for arguing Pence had constitutional standing to object the certification of electoral votes submitted by some states. Schiff failed to note that the original text message was written by an attorney rather than any lawmaker or that Jordan relayed the information to Meadows without any additional comment. 
The graphic displayed by Shift did not include most of the original message, omitting the last two paragraphs. The graphic also altered punctuation, causing the message to come off as a terse directive from a lawmaker rather than a legal argument from a lawyer. Now, uh, a spokesperson for the January 6th Unselect Committee acknowledged the error. Okay. Um, it says, they said, the Select Committee on Monday created and provided Representative Schiff a graphic to use during the business meeting, quoting from a text message from a lawmaker to Mr. Meadows. Um, in the graphic, the period at the end of that sentence was added inadvertently. The Select Committee is responsible for and regrets the error. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because guess what? The wrap-up smear campaign and the talking points that everyone's going to use based on Adam Shifty Schiff's statement and this doctored text message is uh, it's probably already viral, viral. It is probably already viral. It be me, Ange, in the chat room makes a good point. Isn't that tampering with evidence? Oh, heck yeah, I'd say so. I would say so. Ooh, man, 123SKG. Anthony Bourdain had information on Schiff and the Standard Hotel. And then uh, he was uh, summarily, uh, he was summarily uh, put on the uh, accomplishment list for the Clinton kill, kill list. He and uh, three other celebrities that were investigating and about to put out a documentary on child trafficking in the biz. And it does not surprise... That's interesting, though. 123SKG about that uh, shift in the Standard Hotel. Should get more into that. That topic, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -mm -mm. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. Okay. Uh, finishing up... Oh, yeah. The rest of the article goes on to talk about uh, the many lies of Adam Schiff and his certainty beyond a shadow of a doubt that Russia collusion happened. Right, Schiff. Right. Okay. I don't know if you guys want to see this or not. <laughs> this video here of uh, Adam Schiff Reading the transcript of the Ukraine phone call between uh, President Zelensky and President Trump. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going to tell you once, but I'm going to tell you seven times. And listen up, because I'm not going to say it again. If you do something for me, I'll do something for you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You can be sure there's reciprocity there. And uh, my people will call you, don't call me. Terrible writing, terrible acting, and yet somehow this man still sits in the house. All right, I'm going to spare you guys. We're not going to watch that tonight. All right, next story. We only got a couple more and we're wrapping it up for the night, guys. I think we got uh, two more. Uh, whoops. <laughs> two more stories. What is this? What are you doing here? Go away. Okay, who is that lady on the screen? Ladies and gentlemen, this is none other than the wife of Jake Sullivan. That's right. The same Jake Sullivan whose name has come up in the Durham investigation or the Durham probe. 
the same Jake Sullivan who has admitted to being a liar, maybe not as good as Adam Schiff is, but he's admitted it, the same Jake Sullivan who's currently serving on the uh, Biden junta, right? Jake Sullivan's wife, she is currently serving as counsel to A.G. Merrick Garland, who is overseeing the Durham probe. So there are now calls for her recusal from the Durham probe. Ah, don't you just love how this works? You have James Comey's daughter, you know, lead prosecutor on the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. You have Jake Sullivan's wife serving as counsel to the, the Department of Justice. It's crazy the way this works. She needs to recuse herself. Let's see what the article has to say. Uh, this comes from uh, the Washington Free Beacon. Margaret Goodman, or no, sorry, Margaret Goodlender is her name. And I guess she didn't take her husband's name because that's a thing to do. Or maybe they just did not want them to connect the dots. It says here, a top advisor to Attorney General Merrick Garland is facing calls to recuse herself from the Justice Department's investigation of the Trump-Russia probe, which has looked into the actions of her husband, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Margaret Goodlander serves as general counsel to Garland, who oversees special counsel John Durham's investigation. Garland has oversight of Durham's budget, the scope of the investigation, and the release of a report Durham is believed to be writing. Sullivan, who married Goodlander in 2015, has been referenced in Durham's indictment of a cybersecurity lawyer who worked for the Clinton campaign. While there is no indication that Durham is targeting Sullivan, the National Security Advisor could be a witness for the investigation given that he was a foreign policy advisor to Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. Durham's report could also reveal embarrassing details about Sullivan's work on um, the campaign to dig up dirt on Donald Trump's possible links to Russia. A spokesman for the Justice Department said Goodlander has no role in Mr. Durham's investigation, but it is unclear whether she has formally recused herself from the matter or whether the Durham probe is outside her Justice Department portfolio. Now, uh, this was, I guess, originally uh, reported by Fox News that Goodlander advises Garland on antitrust or antitrust and international issues. Uh, Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa and the watchdog group Empower Oversight say Goodlander should be formally recused from the Durham investigation to maintain public trust in the probe. Um Grassley told the Washington Free Beacon, it is in Garland's best interest and he's obligated to be transparent about whether his department is walling off officials who have a real or even perceived conflict, just as prior administrations have done. Well, guys, I, all I got to say is at least we have enough people who are awake and willing to do something about information like this. Jason Foster, the founder and president of Empower Oversight, said the decline in public confidence in the Justice Department makes it critical that decisions about special counsel Durham's investigation are insulated from the political biases and personal interests of senior DOJ officials. 
it would be no imposition on Goodlander or A.G. Garland to simply recuse herself from providing any advice to him in relation to the investigation and thus reassure the public that she will continue to have no role in the future. And as always, no comment was made by the Justice Department to this uh, news agency here. And has given no indication if she has or will formally recuse herself from the Durham probe. Very interesting. And then the rest of the article goes on to talk about uh, Jake Sullivan and his time with uh, Hillary Clinton. And, you know, we're pretty familiar with that. And uh, as we have actually gone through uh, the two Durham indictments that most recently uh, appeared, uh, one for Michael Sussman and one for... um, who is it? Uh, Danchenko. Danchenko. And we're still waiting for all of that to roll out, ladies and gentlemen. It is the long game, as they say. And I know it feels like they're playing games with us, but uh, yeah. It is a long game, this lawfare. Uh, and it could also be something about timing. It could be something about uh, perhaps everything aligning, perhaps that storm cloud gaining strength. So when it rains, oh, it pours. When it rains, it's like the floods of Noah all again coming down on these uh, treasonous individuals who have captured our government and are destroying everything good about this nation, including our freedom. Including our freedom, ladies and gentlemen. All right, that takes us to the last story for tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, the story on um, gun control laws is actually coming out of New Jersey. So you know it's not going to be good. Ladies and gentlemen, New Jersey lawmakers move to toughen states' already strict gun laws. What this, uh, and this is coming from NewJersey.com. But what this really should have said, guys, what this this headline should have said, New Jersey lawmakers require ammunition purchase records. Can you believe that? Can you believe that they are going to require a record to be kept of anyone who purchases ammunition? They're not just going after the guns anymore. Let this be a lesson to the rest of the nation. That, uh, oh, they say it's all about, uh, you know, uh, stopping people from committing mass murders. It's all about uh, protecting citizens from criminals. And why the heck are they going to go as far as to right down to the bullet, ladies and gentlemen? They want to know how many you purchased and who you purchased it from and who purchased it. Let's take a look at this article. New Jersey lawmakers on Monday took a step toward further toughening the state's already strict gun laws. A state assembly committee approved a package of bills that, among other things, would tighten the state's gun storage law, ban future sales of uh, 50 caliber firearms in the state, and require gun dealers in the state to keep logs of ammunition sales and make them available to law enforcement. The bills passed along party lines as those who support them praised them as common sense measures, while critics called them another infringement on Second Amendment rights. The measures passed by the Assembly 
require people who buy guns in New Jersey to renew their purchaser ID card every four years and show proof of taking a course on safe handling and storage of firearms. Currently, purchaser ID cards are valid indefinitely. It would also require people who inherit guns to get a purchaser ID card. Uh, another provision here, or a, I don't know, division. <laughs> it would ban the future sales of 50 caliber guns in the state and require current owners of them to register them and pay a $50 fee. Additionally, if someone who is passed who who has a 50 caliber firearm, they cannot be passed down to heirs after they die. That's crazy, y'all. It would need to be sold or rendered inoperable. Can you believe that? You cannot even gift or pass down a 50 cal firearm. I guess if this gets signed into law, uh, it would also amend the state's public nuisance laws to prohibit the gun industry from endangering the safety or health of the public through its sales, manufacturing, importing, or marketing of guns. Officials say 80% of guns used in crimes in New Jersey come from outside the state. Uh, this uh, package of bills would also require gun owners in the state to store firearms in a lockbox or safe, and it would mandate firearm manufacturers to, within a year, incorporate micro-stamping technology into new handguns sold in New Jersey to provide law enforcement with a tool to quickly link firearm cartridge casings found at the scene of a crime to a specific firearm without having to recover the firearm itself. I know you guys are screaming overreach, overreach, and violation of my Second Amendment rights. The next thing I see here is a mass exodus of gun sellers from the state of New Jersey and manufacturers. Well, they ain't going to do business in New Jersey anymore. It would also require ammunition manufacturers and dealers to keep a detailed electronic record of sales and report them to state police. It would require gun owners who move to New Jersey to obtain a firearm purchaser ID and register their guns within 60 days and reconvene a state for gun safety summit in the state. Let's just take a moment to sit back and reflect on the outright abuse and violations the people of New Jersey are facing right now. And I don't mean to laugh about it, but... You see how they're getting so clownish and obnoxiously obvious? There's gonna be pushback. There is going to be pushback, ladies and gentlemen. Because they are no longer taking an inch. They are no longer, you know, uh, they're no longer trying to do it uh, in a very, uh, you know, uh, secretive or uh, a manner that won't raise alarms. But again, maybe this has something to do with the timelines moving up. Maybe because uh, they lost out on four years, they had to speed up everything into, uh, into uh, you know, um, a year. Who knows, guys, but uh, this is ridiculous. I, I never, all of those measures right there, tyrannical, tyrannical. Let's finish the article. <laughs> we have among the lowest gun crime realties of any American state. So saith Governor Phil Murphy. 
I don't believe it. He says, we have no issues with law-abiding Second Amendment folks. That's not our objective. And I think the packages we've already seen past, as well as this prospective package, all continue to get uh, at making our state responsibly, sensibly, and reasonably the strongest gun safety state in America. It's going to become the most dangerous state outside of what? Illinois? New York? As far as... uh, these gun control measures are going and basically they are endangering their citizens. They are removing their right to efficiently protect themselves. Scott Bach, the executive director of the association of New Jersey rifle and pistols club disagrees. He says not one of governor mercy Murphy's schemes punishes gun crime. Instead, Every single one interferes with the constitutional right of honest citizens to defend themselves in an emergency. Whatever we don't defeat in the legislature, we will defeat in the courts. The bills first face another hurdle, though, the state Senate. It is unclear if state Senate President Stephen Sweeney, who was ousted from his seat last month, will post them in his chamber. Speaking to reporters last week, Sweeney said he supports some of the bills, Not all of them, but he promised to look at them. Uh, Let's see. New Jersey's gun laws already among the strictest in the nation, second only to California. Uh, So I I called that one right. Murphy made gun safety a focus on his first term. He and the Democrat-led legislature have previously ushered two packages of gun control bills into law, including measures that reduced magazine capacity to 10 bullets, banned armored piercing bullets, made it tougher to obtain a permit to carry a handgun, expanded background checks on private gun sales, banned so-called ghost guns, and pushed the development and sale of smart guns. All I got to say about that, ladies and gentlemen, is this is a prime example of why we need election reform and integrity. Well, we need to reform the fraud. We need election integrity passed here quick because of the fraud that these people are able to commit. They're taking us in that direction. Number one case for it, ladies and gentlemen. Number one case for it. Because they are just running and trampling all over us and our rights. Okay, guys. That's going to wrap up the C report for tonight. Thank you all for being as part of the audience and also for uh, any donations that came into the show. Uh, let's see. I was going to jump to the chat room real quick again before we go. Casual GG, good evening. How are you doing? Sean Joe, I saw the, uh, it's out of my, it's out of my chat box now, but I saw that, uh, that donation, gold pill donation you made. Thank you so much. And uh, to anyone else uh, prior to 932 dropping some gold pills, I'm sorry, I can't see it on my chat anymore, but thank you again. Um, y'all support of the show and the work that I do here is deeply appreciated from my heart to yours. Uh, let's see. Persnick was in the house as well. Good evening, Persnick. Persnick saying, uh, why is he not in jail? We got to be talking about Adam Schiff there. And Two Rivers, uh, Two Rivers uh, bringing in that, uh, that light of truth, always worth acknowledging because they protect each other by favors and blackmail. It's like what started off as a threat has become a favor. Most definitely, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Let's see what else you guys were talking about before we head out for the night. 
And uh, let me see here. Ah, chat's a moving. You guys found the scratching. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Let's see here. What else you guys got going on? Uh, yep. Shift doing exactly the same moves as the Russia hoax. Tam Grau says, absolutely. Uh, Anthony Bourdain. Okay, that was from 123SKG. That's what I'm talking about, guys. With the whole human trafficking thing. We gotta have a lot of people out there in front of that Ghislaine Maxwell trial in New York making noise, saying, hey, world, look at us. Let's see if there's a miscarriage of justice here or not. Uh, creative writer. Hey, welcome back, creative writer. How are you doing? Little Kids Foundation. Oh, what's she talking about? Oh, Two River Standard Hotel, Adam Schiff, and the young man, Mr. Little. Little Schiff is what POTUS45 was saying, not Little Schiff. Hmm. I must have missed something there. The chat's moving, moving, moving. I would show you Schiff's Honeypot Boy. Well, Two Rivers, if you go to pill.net, you can actually drop graphics in their chat box and it will appear. In the chat, yeah, you can drop, you can drop graphics, you can drop uh, GIFs, you can drop uh, links, and they all, they all actually show, like you get the visual, so. Interesting. Uh, Two Rivers, do you have this information over at your blog here on pill.net? Because if you do, I actually went over, you have a lot of stuff over there, buddy. You got a lot of information. Good, good work. Good work posting all of that info. Let's see here. Okay, cool. When you get down to it, they're all being complicit in, uh, in fraud and in treason and in uh, violations against humanity. Crimes against humanity. Okay, cool. You guys are, I'm going to go back and look at all these things. You guys are dropping links like crazy tonight. Thank you for that. I love it. I love an engaged audience like that because I learned some things from you guys and it's happened many times. We, we've had some pretty good stories here coming from the audience. Okay, guys, I guess I'm going to let you go now. Uh, before I drop off, uh, just uh, one last encouragement uh, to check us out over at our podcast. That is, again, at anchor.fm slash the sea report. We'll have this uh, episode uploaded a little later on tonight because uh, it probably won't require too much editing. And then also, um, don't forget to visit our website, thecereport.com. Oh, and before I forget... Make sure you join us here on Saturday, particularly if you are from Texas, because uh, we will have a, an America First candidate uh, on the show. Uh, by way of introduction and getting to know uh, this man, uh, his name is uh, Joey Afaji, and he is running for county judge in Texas in the uh, county of Coriel. It's, it's central Texas north, guys. Central Texas North. And so, yeah, join us, guys. It'll be a fun conversation. He's a great man. He's got a great personality. And, uh, you know, uh, Lone Star News will be airing on Saturday. So it'll be a Texas-based a Texas based, um, a news show, you know, current events, local headlines for the state of Texas. So uh, if you're a Texan, if you're in the Central Texas area, if you're in Coriel County, make sure you join us. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about taking it back at the local level. Uh, we're going to talk with the man running for county judge in the state of Texas, who is an America First candidate and wears his MAGA hat every time he's out on the streets. It's going to be a great conversation, and I look forward to you all joining us. Uh, Till then, ladies and gentlemen, y'all have a great night, a great night. And whatever you do, be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. We'll see you tomorrow.